0: good morning. Um, welcome to the Ruby. If this is your first time here, welcome to the Ruby. If it's your second time here, welcome to the Ruby. Okay. Um, hey, I'm glad to see you guys here. Hey, real quick, I want to say happy Father's Day. Um, today is Father's Day. And listen, I know that, that Father's Day is going to bring up a lot of feelings and a lot of things um, for, for, in different ways for different people. Um, some of us um, have experienced uh, great loss um, with our fathers, there's uh, there's broken relationships. There's amazing relationships. And some of us couldn't wait for today to honor our father. And, it's just, and some of us are just apathetic, like, oh, yeah, it's Father's Day. What in the world? And we're all over the spectrum. But uh, I do want to wish us a happy Father's Day. And to all the fathers here, um, thank you. We love you. Uh, you know, we honor you. So. Happy Father's Day. And uh, we're gonna get into our series, Back to Basics. Um, so if you are uh, new here, just to give you a quick recap, um, we've been in this series, Back to Basics, and what we've been, we're in week 14 this week, believe it or not. So we're, we're flying through it, we're almost done. And uh, there's like a big sigh of relief. We're almost done. Oh, okay, thank goodness. I thought it was never gonna stop. Um, no, I'm just kidding. I know you guys never want it to end. Um, but we've been addressing basic Christian practices, and we've been giving two weeks To each practice, okay? So the first week, we asked the question of why. So for example, the very first basic practice we covered was, who can remember what the first one was? Say it. Prayer. Prayer. Sarah, was that you? That's cheating. Um, She was in all of our teaching meetings anyway, um, but thank you, Sarah. That means a lot to me that you remembered. Um, But so we take week one around prayer and go, hey, why pray for real? Like what's actually going on there? What does the Bible say about it? What do we believe is happening? All right, so we take the first week to just develop an understanding. For some of us, we're relearning it. We're re-remembering. Oh yeah, that's right. I forgot about that. Yeah, that's right, that's why we pray. And for some of us, we're maybe learning for the first time, but then we don't just leave it in the why, okay? We go to the second week, and we ask the question of what? How, right? On the screen, I forgot it was on the screen. How, right? So how do we do it? Uh, And and that that is when we get mind-numbingly practical. We circle up in groups, ask a lot of questions. I make a lot of you uncomfortable because I make you talk to other people, but you're gracious and you're good at it. And and so we ask the question of how. And the idea behind that is that you would leave this morning on a how week, and within three minutes, you could literally start doing something because we've we've gotten that practical. Does that make sense? And so um, the reason we're doing the the week of how is so that we can live into that that verse in Matthew 7, where Jesus goes, hey... um, The wise man doesn't just hear my words, right, doesn't just understand why, uh, but he puts them into practice. He thinks about how to do them and he implements them. When we hear the words of Jesus and we put them into practice, Jesus says, we're like a wise man who built a house on solid foundation, that when the storms of life come, we stand strong. And so I, I believe this series is so that we as a church can start living in Matthew chapter seven, that we wouldn't just be people that sit here, listen to a guy tell you the words of Jesus, but that we as a church would actually go and practice them. Why? Because if we practice the ways and the words of Jesus, our lives will be changed. Our city will be changed. Our world will be changed. It will happen. Like the Holy Spirit is in us. He will transform us. And I don't know where you're at in your faith journey. Wherever you're at, you're welcome here. With any questions you have, any skepticism, it's all welcome here. But I do want you to know that at this church, I stand really firm on the promise that if we will follow Jesus, if we will give up our life and take on the life of Jesus, we will find life eternally We believe that if we will practice the ways and the words and the works of Jesus, we will experience what we were created to experience in God. And so that's what this whole series is about. So um, today we're introducing a new practice. I'm going to tell you a story to introduce the practice because I love stories. And I typically think they're kind of funny. So here's the story. Um, So Memorial Day was a few weeks ago, and we went cliff jumping, all right, me and a a few of my friends. And it was at uh, Percy Priest. So we went and laid out on some rocks because... There's no sand. So we were laying out on rocks. And we're like, hey, we ready to go cliff jumping? okay, let's go. So we go. And I don't know if any of you went to Percy. But Tiffany, yeah, you remember. So um, Tiffany was there. And uh, that's Tiffany. She's on the second row. She was there. And uh, so we, uh, we go. And we're sitting on the rocks. And then we go, okay, let's cliff jump. So we're on our way. And uh, we have to pass through this like EDM rave party to get there. It was like a bunch of 20 and 21 year olds that were playing blaringly loud EDM music. Like anyone within three miles could hear it going on. I don't know how they powered those speakers. I guess like 16 generators. And there was definitely a lot of marijuana and beer, and I'm guessing acid. It was pretty crazy. Anyway, walked through it, very nostalgic for my testimony. And I walked through it and was like, nope, I'm a free man. You cannot do that. I'm going to jump off a rock right now. And so um, we're on our way to the cliff. And uh, that was not in the notes. Uh, we're on the way to the cliff. And I remember we passed by the first cliff and I'm like, oh yeah, it's not too bad. And then I remembered that wasn't the one we were going to, so we kept going higher. And uh, we get to the cliff that we're gonna jump off of. And this happens every time I go cliff jumping at Percy Priest, which is like once every two years. I go and I look over the edge and I'm like, ha, by golly, that is higher than I remember. And I've said that every time I've seen the height here. Like the water is so far down. And then my guys, Caleb and Brock, Brock's back there. He was with me and uh, he was, uh, they, they kind of look over casually. And so I go, I sit down on a rock like, all right, you know, there's other people up here. We'll let them go first. I'm just being selfless. I'm not scared <laughs> at all, but you guys were up here, so go ahead. And then Caleb and Brock, without really even thinking, just kind of like, you know, just <laughs> without the, without the way I did it, but they, they did, they did jump off and they didn't think about it. They just jumped off. Caleb first, then Brock was like, all right, here we go, boom. And I was like, and I just jumped off. And I kid you not, I jumped off, not because I thought it was fun. I didn't think it would be a good story. I was not looking forward to it. It did not feel good in the air. It did not feel good in the water. I was not proud of myself when I came up alive. I was just like, It's over. Why did I do it? Because Brock and Caleb seemed like they didn't care at all, and it didn't matter to them, and I was terrified. But they were cool, so I had to be cool. Landon was also there. He jumped after me for the same reason that I jumped, all right? Wow, like half our church was with me when we clip jumped. Um, But anyway, it was just like an amazing thing, right? Have you ever done that? You ever been with a group of people, and they all had an idea, and you were like, that wasn't really on my mind, but if you guys are gonna do it, I'll do it too, you ever been there? Like whether it was a good thing or maybe kind of a bad thing, like a bad idea, but you're just like, all right, since they're doing it, I'll do it, right? Like we know this, there's a powerful thing when a group of people start doing something, right? It's influential, right? Maybe like a mob mentality if we're talking to the extreme of it, okay? But that's a powerful thing. Have you ever heard the saying that you're the average of your five closest friends? You ever heard that? Uh, It's a pretty powerful thing, and you you found it to be true probably because if you've ever been sitting and, and reflecting on your life and went, man, I really wanna change. The thing you probably thought to do was change locations, right, like whether you were gonna move friend groups in the city you were in or move cities. Have you ever thought that? I want life to be different. I might move cities, right? But within that, there's this understanding. If you'll leave the people you're with, maybe even the culture you're in and go somewhere else, you'll change, right? That's the power of people. I was thinking about this uh, documentary I watched about Rodney King, and I'm not gonna just tell that whole story, um, but there's this horrific moment where a guy named Rodney King is beaten brutally by police. The police aren't charged. It's this terrible thing in the 90s. Go watch the documentary, okay? Um, but this group of people in LA decide, look, if the government's not gonna take care of us, we're gonna make a statement, right? And so all these people, like, they gather together and they start rioting, basically. I mean, that's what happens. And no kidding, in five days, five days, they caused over $1 billion of damage in Los Angeles. How insane is that? It took 9,800 National Guards to to bring peace into the city, to like stop all the violence, all things that were going on. It's like, that is a great example of when a group of people decide to do something, it's a lot more powerful than if one person did something, right? If one person at the moment was like, I'm gonna go throw a brick through a window, it's all right, $200 of damage, right? But when everybody jumped in, it's like a billion dollars, what in the world, right? We understand this. This easy logic that when a lot of people decide to do something, it's typically more powerful than when one person decides to do something. Does that make sense? But I started thinking this week about our basic Christian practice that I'm not going to reveal yet, that Maddie already said, if you were paying attention, Maddie, I was trying to be suspenseful. No, I'm just kidding. I'm thankful you serve us. You're very kind. You're a servant heart. Thank you. Um, So I was thinking about, I was thinking about that, like it's common sense to us. We all understand Hey, when there's more than one, if there's five instead of one, five is probably more powerful. If there's 10 instead of five, probably 10. 20 instead of 10, probably, right? We get that. But I started like kind of stepping back and going, but hold on. We know that because someone made that so. God, thank you. Someone made that reality. Set that logic in place. That one person is not stronger than a collective. Like that came from God. We see this in church. Right? Several weeks ago, we raised money for Aiken Elementary, and we raised $7,000, which was super cool. Right? If I would have decided to quietly give to Aiken, I would not have given $7,000, but I hope my $7 would have went really far for them. Right? But it's like when we came, <laughs> that's a funny joke, wasn't it? I'm broke. Um, all right, but, but when we came together, right? We gave a lot, which is a very cool thing, by the way, about the church. I know we can get some hate, but like, we're pretty cool at giving stuff. It's awesome. It helps people in our community. So anyway, we understand this, but I believe the reason we understand that a group of people is better than the individual is because God made it so. That was his design. And so today we're going to talk about the basic Christian practice of community, all right? And we're in the why week, so I wanna prepare us mentally. This is a fire hydrant type of week, meaning I'm about to just vomit scripture all over you, which is a really intrusive picture. So I'm about to give you a lot of life-giving scripture, okay, um, and so I wanna prepare you for this. So take out your phone, take out a pen and paper, um, and I just wanna encourage you, as we cover each scripture today, talking about community, I wanna invite you to, to write down the scripture that you're gonna see on the screen, just, just like where it's found, and then a brief description. That's gonna help you stay engaged, okay? And what's probably gonna happen by the end of this conversation, you're gonna have a lot of questions. It's not gonna feel very practical. That is what next week is for. Because honestly, as I was talking through this at the nine, I felt terrible at the end. Because I was like, wow, I have a lot of questions myself. But that's what we're gonna try to get into next week when we get practical and talk about how this looks. Okay, so for now, it's why. We're setting a biblical precedent. Why do we believe in this, all right? So as I talk through this, I hope you're gonna hear that one, that God is community, God Himself is community. That, two, that He's made us with a desire for community. That, three, that He accomplishes His purposes in community and continues to do that today through community. By the end of this, you're going to hate the word community, all right? But you're going to love to live into it, hopefully. All right. So, stop making jokes. Okay. Here we go. So, I want to start out. Let's pull up that slide with the scriptures. I wanna start out in Genesis and just be ready, all right? Because look at all of them, all right? Uh, I'm gonna hit them all relatively quickly, but hopefully give us some time to actually write down what they're about, all right? So first thing is first, all right? Genesis 1, verse 26, God is, uh, and by the way, if you need any of these notes, again, I will always email them to you, so just hit me up. So Genesis 1:26. God has made creation. The only thing missing is humanity, And this is what God says when he is creating man, all right? Let us make man in our image after our likeness. So we've talked about that we're made in the image of God, right? And so we've we've covered this in in the past few weeks. So God makes man in his image, but listen to this. Let us make man in our image. I say our, which is a super country way to say our. I think it's our, I don't know. Our image after our likeness, all right? There's this plural vibe, right? And so when you read that, immediately you see there is a unity in the midst of plurality, all right? The Trinity, Father, Son, Spirit. If you've ever heard like the egg example, you got the shell, the yolk, and the whatever the other part of the egg is, it's like three and one, one and three, right? It's like, that's the Trinity. The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is present at the beginning of creation. And from Genesis one, we see it. God in himself is one in three, three in one, unity amongst plurality, and we are made in the image of God, okay? Moving forward to Genesis chapter two, verse 18. We got Adam, we got the earth, and Adam is by his lonesome. And God says, it is not good that man should be alone, okay? It is not good that man should be alone. So we got a human, we got creation, everything set, and God looks and goes, this isn't it, right? This is not the end of this, okay? Man should not be alone. Now, he creates Eve, right? And so you hear this all the time at weddings, and that's a great place to use this story, but I think it, there's more to it, all right? What's happening is God is making image bearers that are going to go and multiply and make more image bearers, right? So God collectively goes, man should not be alone. He should be amongst image bearers, should be amongst other image bearers, all right? So from the beginning, this is set in place. Does that make sense so far? All right, if you get confused, raise your hand, and then I'll just say, me too. Um, so uh, moving forward, now I wanna move to Genesis chapter 12. God makes this promise to a guy named Abram, who you would know as Abraham, right? Father Abraham, Abraham. Amen. I let us sing the whole song, stop. Uh, it's like seven minutes long. All right, you see what I'm saying? Uh, but uh, but Abram who turns to Abraham, all right? And, uh, and God makes a promise to him. And the, this is why the promise is so powerful. He goes, hey, I'm gonna give you many descendants. You're gonna father a great nation. Like, that's the power of the promise to Abraham. He's promising the people of Israel. And I want us to catch this. God's chosen people were this collective community, who followed God, and you actually see it in 1 Samuel, there's a moment where they pivot and they change like what they think, or they uh, they change their mind and wanna go a different way than what God had intended. They start asking for a king, give us one guy to lead us. And God is gonna say this out loud, he's gonna say like, hey, they're making this decision against me, against my will. Because originally, God had his people group, this community that followed his leadership, all right? That's in uh, Genesis 12 and throughout, it's the people of Israel, okay? Stories like in Exodus chapter 18, Moses leads the Israelites out and he gets this advice from his father-in-law because Moses is handling this leadership all by himself. And his father-in-law says, you've got to delegate your leadership. Like, don't try to, tap this, like, don't try to like, tackle this by yourself. Like, get other leaders around you. That's in Exodus 18. 1 Samuel 18 is where we see that best friendship BFF vibe between David and Jonathan. You guys remember that? That's a powerful friendship. Know that David would have gotten assaulted by a spear from Saul if he wouldn't have been best friends with Jonathan, right? We see the power gonna leave, right? Power of community keeps you from getting speared, right? Um, Daniel chapter three, that's the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And this week, I I feel like God just allowed me to think about that story differently as I was thinking about the power of community. So the the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they're, they're standing amongst a lot of people, foreigners, and the king has an idol that he wants all the people to bow down to. And he says, if you don't bow down, it's not a big deal. I'm just gonna throw you into a blazing furnace. That's what's at stake. And in that moment, if you know this story, those three do not bow, they stand. Because they go, we only bow to the one true God. And I just started thinking about that story and went, that's an amazing story. I wonder if that was just the story of Shadrach, if it never would have been a story at all. Like I just wonder maybe not maybe Shadrach had the faith where he would have stood by himself and it would have been all good but you know how helpful it is when it's that kind of moment well I guess we really probably don't know but how helpful it might be if you imagine to have two other guys like, I'm not, I'm not sitting, are you, are you bowing? I'm not bowing, are you okay? I wasn't gonna bow either, I'm glad you're not bowing. And then we just stay standing, right? like so that's the power, right? I imagine that those three guys being together gave them more courage, more boldness. I just feel like it like multiplies in that moment when someone else is with you. Does that make sense? I was like, that's so powerful that they had each other in that moment when rubber meets the road. I just feel like I fold unless I got a guy that I like trust and he stays standing too. And I'm like, All right, let's jump off this cliff together. You know what I mean? So anyway, I think it's just so powerful. I love that story. You do too. All right, so moving forward, talking about Jesus, there is no better example of someone uh, someone making it clear how important community is than Jesus. All right, in Mark chapter one, verses 16 and 17, this is right at the beginning of Jesus's ministry. And he does something that a lot of us are familiar with, but I wanna really think about it. It says, passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, Jesus, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. I want us to stop right there because what's happened is we've been introduced to the one guy who could have done this thing solo. Jesus, the one, fully God, fully man, did not need any help, right? That would be my assumption. When God chooses to become human, he's probably gonna be fine on his own, right? But at the very beginning of his ministry, he calls disciples. And if we only think about disciples as people that Jesus taught all the time, I think we're missing it. Jesus spent every day with 12 guys for three straight years. He was not only teaching. He was living in friendship, right? He was living around followers that helped him accomplish his things. When he was doing miracles, his disciples were right there. When a little bit of bread turned to a lot of bread, the disciples were there to hand it out and distribute it to the hungry. Like, they were there. In Luke chapter 10, Jesus Jesus appoints 72 others, I'll read this, and the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him, two by two, into every town and place where he himself was about to go. So even when Jesus was sending people out to go and accomplish the ways of God, I would have thought he'd cover more ground by sending individuals out. Hey, one by one, let's just cover a lot of territory here because no, to each city before Jesus got there, two people had walked together and ministered. Does that make sense? Like there's power. I'm telling you things you already know, but let's just keep going, okay? We're setting the biblical precedent. So power two by two. In Mark 14, 33, it says, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and began to be deeply distressed and troubled. Just in case We think Jesus is like being like just trying to teach us a lesson by calling disciples. There's this moment where Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane, hours before he's going to be murdered. He is feeling the weight of everything that's about to happen. And in that moment, he does not begin to feel deeply distressed and troubled until he pulls his three closest guys with him. And the minute they get away from the crowds, he feels it. Think about how vulnerable this moment is. Like for Jesus, walking on water, healing people, doing all the stuff. To feel deeply distressed and troubled? That's pretty wild. And the thing he's feeling distressed and troubled about is only something he can understand, okay? Peter and James and John are not going, I know, I've been there. I've been like trying to rescue the world before. Like, I feel you, man. Let me tell you that here's three steps on how to get through this, okay? Like, that's not what's happening. They have no idea what Jesus is carrying, and yet Jesus is close to his community. He's not just teaching us a lesson. Like he is locked in with these three guys and when they come with him and they're like off away from everybody else, he begins to feel this. The community around Jesus was so important and essential. And then in Matthew 28, after Jesus dies and resurrects, he makes the Great Commission where he says, hey, what I've done with you, go do it with everybody else. Like go and make disciples. Go make disciples. Go make communities just like this one. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, baptize them to the ends of the earth. I'm gonna be with you. That's the commission, right? To go and do this again amongst others. You still with me? Are we all right? We're almost, we're actually kind of almost there. So we're in Acts. Here we go. Acts chapter two, verse one. This is the beginning of the church, okay? This is amazing. When the day of Pentecost arrived, which we celebrated last week, when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, Think about that. They're all together in one space, praying and anticipating and waiting because Jesus had told them, I'm gonna send the helper. Don't start ministry without the helper, the Holy Spirit. And so they're all together. I don't know about you, but for me, prayer is almost always a solo sport. It's almost always just me in a closet, me by myself. But we get a different picture here. They're all together anticipating, waiting on the Holy Spirit that's going to come, that's been promised. And then in Acts 2, 46 through 47, the Holy Spirit has descended upon them. Peter preaches the most epic sermon ever. 3,000 people come to the Lord and it says, and day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and, listen to this, having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. They have favor among all the people, the community, of Jesus learning from the scriptures, being empowered by the Holy Spirit. It has favor among all the people. It did not say among all the Christian people. It said all the people. This is a powerful thing. And then it says day by day, people were being added to their number. I want us to just a just pause just a second, all right? I believe what we just read is true right now. That when the community of Jesus isn't just delegated to Sundays and house churches, When the community of Jesus is functioning in the city, when we're just doing us, like just following the Holy Spirit, loving God, loving each other, like just kicking it, people will come to know Jesus. And I think that right now in 2019, the community of Jesus as we just live and breathe out in the city is actually the primary way that people will come to know Jesus. Things will happen in this church. By God's grace, I'll preach some killer sermons and worship will be amazing and people will come to Jesus on Sundays. I believe that will happen. But I really believe that there is some power in the communities as they're out in the city. That's what we see in Acts. It's because of how they were just simply living and breathing amongst each other, that the Lord was adding people to their day. If you think the gospel's hard to fit in now, try fitting in the gospel in some place that's never heard of the gospel. Like, like, what are you, t- literally, what, who is Jesus? Like, what are you talking about, you insane people? But it says that daily, people are coming to believe. Why? They're watching the community being led by the Spirit. There is something powerful here. I hope you feel it. I hope you hear it. All right, um, Acts chapter six. Next example, the apostles, this is when they delegate leadership to make sure everyone is fed fairly. So the apostles aren't living in this like false sense of hierarchy where they're like, no, we have to take care of everything. There's a people group that don't feel like they're being fed bread, fed bread uh, equally, right? And so they appoint leaders, like, let's tackle this as a team to make sure that everyone's fed properly and it's all fair for everyone. In Acts chapter four, Peter and John are released from prison after being threatened. People said, we will kill you if you keep doing what you're doing, which is preaching the name of Jesus they come back to their squad the squad prays together and they pray for more boldness think about how epic that is if you get released from prison with the threat of death on your life to a house by yourself I just got to guess you're chilling on it all right you know what I'm gonna take a sabbatical from like preaching the gospel just think about it for a little bit but they get back to their group and their group's like let's pray it up Like they need Jesus more than we need our life. They need Jesus. Let's pray for boldness. Like, woo, that is crazy community right there. All right, Acts 16, Paul and Silas, they're in chains. I don't remember, I learned this one time. I know they're in a very uncomfortable posture that prisoners were chained up in really terrible ways. And they begin singing hymns. If it's just Paul, isn't he just, don't you just think he might be awkwardly humming and trying to like figure it out? Maybe he's doing great. But you know how helpful it was to hear Silas start humming a little bit? Paul starts throwing in the words a little bit. They get a little bit louder, like, all right, right, we're having church. They're like like all chained up, like, we're having church up in here, you know? They start going for it. That's the power, man. There's power in this. In a place of fear and hopelessness, prison, thinking it's the end of it, they begin worshiping together. All right, a couple more. You still with me? Is it a little hot? I'm a little hot. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, we get such a clear picture of how we are all each individually gifted, but we all come together in unison, okay? So the first 10 verses are Paul breaking down all all these unique gifts that each of us can have. But then it says, as a body, okay, we work in unison. All these gifts are empowered by one and the same spirit. So we're individually gifted, same spirit underneath all of it, who apportions to each one individually as he wills. For just as the body is one and has many members... And all the members are of the body, though many, so it is with Christ. It's really simple here. He goes, just like all of these things on your body do different jobs, but together they work as one. That's the body of Christ. That's how we're intended to be, okay? Ephesians 4, 11 through 12, a similar sentiment here. Jesus is in a gift-giving mood in this, in this scripture. It's amazing. He says, Jesus gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. In other words, he gifted individuals in individual ways so that they could collectively work to build up the church, build up the saints, so that the saints could do ministry right? Do you understand? Are you seeing what's happening here? Individual gifts working together to build up the church so the church can do what the church does in a city. And then obviously you think about heaven, right? That is depicted as a place, not where you go to your like house on the street of gold and like just, I don't know, watch Netflix for all of eternity, right? Like it, the idea is that you're with a lot of people, a lot of other image bearers in the presence of God singing and worshiping your face off, okay? So, so that's like the scriptural precedent here, all right. So, are we sold? Do, you, do we see the significance in community in Scripture? How God's primary way of accomplishing His purposes? purposes you might have had leaders, but it almost always, it always involves a community of people functioning together. And I want to talk about community. And I feel like this is a basic Christian practice for us. And the reason I think God put this on my heart, my life—story time. My life has been changed by community, healthy community. It took me till college. It took me till college to realize that in the same place, you could laugh until your face hurt, do spontaneous midnight adventures, worship the Lord, be holy, make disciples, have fun. All of it could happen in one spot. And I don't assume your experience, but growing up, it felt like you had to choose faith or fun, right? Like you had to like, choose the cool parts of culture or Jesus. It felt like, like you had to like, follow God and not do certain things or like, have fun with your life. And I just, this is so prevalent in Nashville. There is such a broken, guys, there is such a broken understanding of what a Christ-filled community can be I feel like we 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 have this weird picture of like no Christian community is where you sit and you play cards and you accept the awkward people. That's what Christian community is, and in the end, it's fun, but it's not that fun, right? It's like, wow, okay, you connected. That's great. Uh, um, like that's what happens, right? And it's such a we get. I don't know if we're like so fixed on what you can't do that we never realize what we can do. No, like, it's like I guess we just get together and don't drink and do drugs. That's Christian community. What in the world, who told us that? We are like kingdom people made to come al- like, come so alive in Jesus. Made to come so alive when we see like broken people find restoration and redemption in the presence of God. Like we are made to come alive when we watch someone who doesn't know Jesus or is so broken and scarred by the church and they find wholeness in the presence of God and they realize that Jesus is for them, that he's a good God, he's worth following, he's worth losing your life for. And we all celebrate and we all go to the restaurants and the parks and we plug into the fun things happening in the city. We don't compromise holiness, we keep our morals. We help other people do that. We confront our people when they're going too far. We say, that's not it. That's not the way of Jesus. That doesn't make us lame. It makes us choosing life. Like, that's all available in one spot. But there's so much, like, gross, awkward, weird, just stuff around community that we're like, okay, when I want to feel good, about my walk with God, I go to this quiet, quaint house church. And when I want to do what I actually want to do, I'm over here compromising. Like, that's the deal. That is not... That is not it, I'm telling you right now. There is so much available. I want you to know that in the same group of friends, you can grow closer to God than you've ever been. You can be vulnerable confess sin, repent, grow, talk about, do you remember where I was three years ago? Holy cow, how did I get here? This is amazing and still have fun and pull pranks and stay up too late and be really stupid and fart in the car and everyone laughs Like, and it's just so fun, like whatever the things are that you think fun are and you can do all of that while maintaining holiness, loving God. I have community, and I'm not saying this in any like I'm saying there's hope. I'm saying this is actually a thing, okay? So please don't hear this as, I have it, all right? But in the same community, we can tell stupid jokes that sometimes land and sometimes don't. We can go on late night road trips to another state until 4 a.m. We can have so much fun listening to music too loud and love God and confess and, and grow and ask each other real questions in the same night. And guess what? It doesn't feel weird. There's not this sentiment of, okay, he took it there. Okay, how's my heart? Yeah, all right, yeah, let's go there. Let's just pause the fun and talk about how I'm doing. You know? That doesn't have to be that way. It can be all in the same place. And I just I think I feel all the baggage around the, the word community, especially in the church setting. It sounds nice and it also sounds like icky. <laughs> like I don't want to have more awkward conversation in my life. Neither do I. You may have to wade through some of that to get to some good stuff, maybe, I don't know, but I'm not gonna promise anything that like won't happen. But but I believe there's so much for us. And, I think what it's going to take is for us to stop comparing ourselves to culture and start shaping culture instead. We got to, man, all right, yes, (laughs) yes, okay, good, this is great, Um, but uh, (laughs) I'm so excited, Um, but it really is going to take, I feel like sometimes we're looking over there and going, I'm not having that kind of, I'm not doing, I'm not whatever, or, or they're this, and I'm, it's not it. We gotta, take, we gotta stop being the Christian t-shirts that take Reese's and make it Jesus and start actually call, like, shaping our own stuff. You know what I'm saying? We gotta be inventors. Let's us take time to dream. What can Christian community look like, y'all? What would it mean if y'all go to shows together, you do fun things together, you make disciples together, you confess sin together, you maintain holiness together, you worship God together, you pull pranks together, all of it's happening. You don't have to sacrifice fun. Like you don't have to. You also don't have to sacrifice making disciples to be in an awesome community. You also don't have to sacrifice your morals to be in a good community. All of it can be there. It's all possible. But I'm going to be honest, this might feel like a huge uphill climb. And we're going to just try to dream together and take our first step. I feel you. I feel you. If I had to guess a lot of what you feel when you think about trying to be in a like, Christian community, ugh, you know, ugh, and I get it. I really do. I've seen Really interesting versions of Christian community. And interesting is like a sweet way to put it. You know what I mean? But I feel like we need to dream together. And so next week, that's what it's gonna be all be about. All right? That's what it's gonna be all be about. This <laughs> is gonna be about us dreaming. Hey, what could community look like? What could it mean? To kick it with people, to have fun, to, to like just chase the, just the funnest parts of life, but to do it with Jesus and to have discipleship in our walk with God as like the top of the top and that not to feel like it's hindering Our community from being awesome, but it's actually causing our community to be awesome. Um, so anyway, we're going to dream about it next week. So this is the part I was talking about earlier when it feels really open-ended, like not, there's not like a place to go quite yet, but that's what next week's all about. So hopefully we'll get really practical, brainstorm, share honestly together next week. Um, I'm putting a lot of pressure on next week. Uh, I got to work hard this week, but, um, so I want to, I want to go to communion and, um, and, and If you're comfortable taking it with the people that you came with, um, if you want to circle with two or three other people, that'd be great, but just however you feel led, but I just want to, just want to invite you that over communion, just simply share with, with something on your heart. Did anything stick out today? Um, like what, what was on your brain? If it was, I was puzzled here, I was confused here, I was excited, I was challenged, whatever it is, just share uh, and then pray together and pray, God you know what you intended when you made us for community. You know that it was your idea, so you got it. Will you help us untangle the things that need to be untangled? Help us to get past all the stuff that's in the way. And will you help us to reimagine and redream what community can look like, all right? And I know community is the Vegas word. We're gonna to try to get real practical next week. So um, let's stand together. Um, there's communion in all four corners of the room. Um, so you can exit towards the middle, go to one of the corners, grab communion, and then you're gonna circle up, share what's been on your heart this morning, and then uh, then pray together, and then we'll go into worship, take communion together, obviously. Yeah, go ahead, go ahead, go for it, doing great. If you're not comfortable circling up, don't do it. There's no pressure on you, um, ever. So if you need to sit and reflect, if you wanna stand in the back, if you wanna walk outside, just make this space your living room. Uh, do what you need to do, um, but let's think about it. What was on your heart this morning? Let's pray.